you know you again yeah all right hi everyone how's it going hey guys nice shoes cool shoes um all right sorry for the delay just a little printing that needed to be done um how is everyone doing this evening as well as can be I, i'm sorry for the fact that there's no game for you to be secretly looking at on your phones <laughs> i know that that's a real blow to the whole community uh there is a game what the flyers are playing i'm sorry that's a made-up team <laughs> that's not that's not real that's that's just people trying to get out of something oh the flyers we have to watch them score never mind okay uh <laughs> sorry um can everyone hear me okay good now that i'm making fun of your sports teams i want to make sure it's audible um so welcome to the third and final installment of the rabbis and the human condition after this you will all get a certificate that it's okay for you to be human uh as we leave here and uh, don't worry the jokes get better as the night goes on and um but it's it's uh and by the way and if you haven't been to the first two you it's okay you didn't miss much um let's just sorry it's been a long week guys um so so let's just do a quick recap before we dive into tonight's topic so the first week we taught that was over here the first week we talked about should humans be created right and these questions in the in the rabbinic mind of should human beings be created god asks the angels and most of those discussions hinged on i promise this isn't a quiz what right humans are going to be good and bad they're going to have good parts to them they're going to have bad parts to them so should they be created god's answer is yes right and baked into the dna literally of humanity is that we have the potential for good and bad and that we belong in community right that's the way we are created great then we had the next session and the next session was given all that that human beings have good and they're bad and they have to be in community so what right how should we live our lives what's the purpose given to human beings and the answer there was great right <laughs> the or is the really the great right the charge giving to humanity is maybe conquer and dominate the world or maybe preserve and protect the world or I forget who was my, those are the exact same thing, but someone over here, I believe you, I don't remember. Someone was like, those are the same thing. Maybe this is the same thing, I don't know, right? But the way that we're supposed to act and the main thing that we came up with, and by we, I mean the rabbis that I showed you, there could be others, but the main way that the rabbi said is that the job of a human in this world is essentially to practice restraint. Right, that we have within us this potential for good and bad and awesome creative power. And the main job of a human through life, whether you were talking about Maimonides or the rabbis, whatever, is to restrain ourselves from being too damaging to the world or people around us. And what, for a hundred million bonus points, did the rabbis say is the main way in which a human can learn to restrain themselves? 
Sorry, I couldn't hear the what? Ah, so that was Maimonides was like, humility is the thing. Be as humble as possible. No such thing as too much humility. But for those of us for whom that's not going to work, the rabbis do give us a handy-dandy course curriculum on how to refine and restrain, restrain ourselves from all of our bad impulses. And it's called... The Torah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. You just heard the, you heard it coming that, you know, that was the accent was about to go up and down. The Torah, right. Right, that the laws and the Torah is how we refine ourselves. It's how we keep ourselves in check, right? Humans can be gluttonous. Here comes Kashrut, right? Humans can be lustful. Here comes all the sanctity laws about whatever. Humans can be destructive. Here comes Shabbos. Like whatever it is, right? These are these things that are meant to help us be better people. Awesome. Before we keep going, because I remember especially the last session we ended relatively abruptly. Um, <clears throat> were there any questions? Or I, I feel like there was one that I forgot as soon as I walked out of the room that was like, oh, we're going to talk about that next week. But I do not remember what it was. And I couldn't even remember who said it to be like, Dear so-and-so, what did you say? So, does anyone remember? They don't remember either, so we totally addressed it. Great. Any questions before we move on to tonight about the stuff that we did before? You can always still ask. It's okay. All right. So, tonight, we did human beings be created. We did purpose of human beings. So, for just like 10 bonus points, what is tonight going to be? That's why we're here. I heard death. Yes, that's right. So now we're going to do the end. Okay? You're like, oh, of course. I missed, the, I missed the good one, and now I'm here for death. Okay. It's not that bad, I promise. Um, uh, the class. Death, I have no promises about what that is or isn't. Oy vey's mirror. Um, and again, my caveat, which I really need to make right now, can you take one and pass around, is... There is a lot going on in the world right now. It is very sad and concerning, and we're going to have some fun tonight because we need to just learn a little. And if I'm glib or make jokes, it's only to keep you awake at this hour of the night, not because what we're talking about isn't important. Okay, so when I say talking about death right now, we could do a whole thing about what the rabbis say happens when we die, but then my name would be Rabbi Alan Iser, and I would be teaching on Wednesdays. So if you're interested in that, come to Rabbi Alan Iser's class on Wednesdays, because I said I'm in Mondays, of course. Um, I was there. Okay, so on Mondays, right? So that's not what we're talking about, sort of the rabbinic imagination of what happens when we die, but the sort of fact of death. Because, by the way, basically, when we're talking about the human condition, meaning things that are essentially present for all humans on the planet, there are really only two certain things that link every single one of us together. One of them is that we're all created, we all exist, and remember the rabbis say we're all created out of the same dust so that none one is different. Okay, great, right? And the other one, basically all up for grabs in the middle there. And then the last thing that probably links all of us together I say probably, because like two people in creation have made it up to heaven without dying. So, you know, there's hope for some of us, um, right? Is that death links us together. And what we do and how the rabbis talk about that is going to be, I think, important. 
So first, let's set the stakes of the conversation. I, we've actually talked about this one, and I think I even quoted it in a sermon recently, which means you all have memorized it. Um, does someone want to read the Mishnah for us on Sanhedrin 4, 5? And I apologize, I had a Hebrew issue, so we have no, that's why your source sheet is only one page tonight and not two. Mostly, I know, mostly because I didn't get you the Hebrew, and I apologize. I can get it for you in a digital copy if you would like it, um, but this was my issue for tonight. So, uh, who's going to read Mishnah Sanhedrin 4, 5 for us in a nice, loud voice, knowing I'm probably going to interrupt you in a minute? I got this one then. That's fine. I just realized I don't have my other mic, so people who are high joining us on Zoom can't hear me and us anyways. So the Mishnah says, your brother's blood your brother's bloods cry out to me. What's that? Where's that from? We just read it in the Torah like two weeks ago. Whose blood's crying out to whom? Right, Cain and Abel. Right, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and God says to Abel, your blood, your, your brother's bloods cry out to me. Um, and, uh, okay, Matt, I'm not going to make you rap. Um, your brother's bloods cry out to me. What the rabbi's note here says, your, why does it say bloods, plural, right? Dame, why is it in plural? And the rabbis, the answer given is that it's his blood, meaning Abel's blood, and the blood of his potential offspring. Therefore, man was first created as a single individual. This is the part we talked about, right? In order to teach that whoever destroys one life is considered by the Torah to have destroyed a full world. And whoever preserves one life is considered by the Torah to have preserved a full world. So first, let's explain it, then let's talk about why it's important, and I have extra source sheets for you right here, and this is, here you go. So we get the, first, do we get the hermeneutics of it? It's a pretty standard rabbi move here. Weird grammar in the Torah, we can get some meaning out of that, right? So why is the word blood in plural? Now, you could go to some weird, like, Galen early medical thing. It's like, oh, well, it's the yellow blood and the blue blood and the red blood. And they, no, that's not what the rabbis say. They say it's the blood of Abel and then the blood of Abel's future descendants. Therefore, that shows that when you kill one person, when you destroy one life, it is as if you destroyed a whole world. Why? Because... Right, because you've destroyed the potential for all of the descendants therein, right? And this is actually not a unique to this moment rabbinic read. Um, the other thing, and I apologize, I'm going to do this on one foot, and so if that means that I say something offensive, I apologize, <laughs> because the other place where this shows up is in the Torah when they talk about a woman being impure after she gives birth. And the Torah says a woman is impure for how long after she gives birth? Anyone? This is, this is a deep cut of knowledge. If people get this, I'll be very impressed. For 30 days for, right, for 30 days if they give birth to a male. I think it's 33, but that's okay. And right, or 60 days if they give birth to a female. And so the question, the rabbi was like, well, what is that? Are we, are we punishing a woman or whatever, whatever? And the answer is because in giving birth to a woman, she has given birth to the potential for more life. 
And so she got closer to God and therefore requires a longer uh, cool-off period or whatever that, that is, right? Um, because of it, right? So just I'm pointing out that the, the rabbis actually are consistent in their cool-off period. Is that not how we... I forgot I have an expert in the room. Uh, that's what you, you... You have a cool-off room at the... Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I said I was going to probably offend somebody. All right. So, but again, the point being that the rabbis are relatively consistent in seeing the potential for more life in the existence of current life. So now go back to this idea of if you destroy a life, you've destroyed an entire world, right? What does that do for us in this world, that idea? I mean, it's a beautiful idea, right? It's nice hermeneutics, good read in the Bible. What does that matter to those of us living today who want to be humans and exist? It means what? It means it's important. Say more, please. Great. 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 So part of it is, again, this human creative potential, which is beautiful. And part of it means when you destroy that, right, you lose all of that future potential. Um, anything else on how this is going to affect my life or the rabbi's life or Jewish law or anything like that? Ah, we're actually going to get there, by the way. I, I couldn't resist. I, I, I thought of actually making the whole thing about laws of that, but we're going to get there in a second. About So it, it does mean, right, that it is... I don't want to give too much away right away, but I will. Right. It is impossible in many ways to measure the value of a human life. Right? Or we can measure the value of a human life. The value of a human life is infinite. Right? There, sorry, what? Incalculable. Yeah, exactly. Right? That there is no, that you, so which, which is where we're going to get. And so if the value of one human life is incalculable, is infinite, then it is what? Super important. Right? To protect any life. Where we're getting, friends, by the way, right, is a word, I'm, two words I'm sure everyone here has heard before, pikuach nefesh, right? It, the overriding halachic principle in Judaism that the saving of a life is paramount, right? And you can, in fact, violate, like everything, but three things, which we're going to get to. It's the next source. Don't read ahead, but we're going to get there, right? In the service of saving a life. And, and it's because the individual life is important, but it's also because there's this potential, right? This idea that one, one human is an entire world. Okay. Question. Yeah, Rabbi. Yeah. 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 It's, this is, oh, that is beyond my ken. <laughs> the, the, I knew it was, I knew it was one of the, the, the texts that is in the Quran as well, but I don't, I don't like the, the context of, of, yeah, which surah it's in, right? But it, no, I mean, by the way, I, I, this is actually somewhere where I wanted to get to towards the end, but we can talk about it now is, we haven't done a lot of comparative thought in the last two weeks, but
but it's important, I think, to think about, right? Because we're talking about the human condition, this is where I want to get to at the end, but I'm going to say it right now, and then we're going to hop to it at the end too, which is because we're talking about the human condition, we are talking about things that even to the rabbis are meant to be somewhat universal, right? Not specific to Jews, but in fact, universal for all of us, right? That it's, that this is an important thing. And other religions weigh in on this stuff as well. And so one of the things that we're going to look at, or, or we should at least talk about, because again, I'm only, I'm not even, I'm not even an expert in one religion, but to the extent that I know anything about it, it's only one of them. And so the idea of where Judaism places this emphasis on life or what we do with this emphasis on life, as opposed to perhaps another religion or another way of thought, or, or, or if we don't want to talk about actual other religions, what, what one could have said, right? A religion could have, where we could have put emphasis. So we've got this idea that you saving a life is paramount, right? Which already gives some of that away, right? You could imagine a world where saving a life is not the most important thing, right? If you think that it depends on what you think about the afterlife. It depends what you think about the value of a life. You could imagine a philosophy saying, well, no, actually, you know, saving the idol of the deity is the most important thing. And if, you know, a hundred people have to die to protect it, then, well, that's just what you do, right? Or you could imagine a world that says, you know, that, well, the life of a this is worth more than the life of a that. There's more than, right? we, there's other things. Okay, let's keep going with our source sheet for a second, and then we're going to come back to these conversations. So. I did want to give you this Maimonides. So this is from his Hilchot Yisurei HaTorah, the foundations of Torah, right? He says, the entire house of Israel is commanded concerning the sanctification of God's great name. Now, as it is stated, I will be sanctified among the Israelites and they're warned not to desecrate. It says, you shall not desecrate my name. Fine. By the way, why, just as we looked at this once before, but why does sanctifying and desecrating God's name have anything to do with the value of a human life? Because we're all made of the bonus points. That's great. Nice. All right. Um, right, because we're all made in the image of God. So not only is destroying a life, destroying all the potential future worlds, it's also desecrating the image of God because that was the image of God that you just destroyed. Okay. So, how so? When a Gentile attempts to force one of Israel to transgress any of the commandments stated in the Torah, or else he, the Gentile, will kill him, he should transgress and not be killed. Now, first of all, why does Maimonides say a Gentile is going to force you to do this? Does that change Jewish law? It does not. I imagine that's just Maimonides' assumption that only a non-Jew would force a, right? Again, we're about to get into some kind of macabre scenarios here, and I apologize for that, and I will try to be delicate about it, but I think it's interesting to um, elucidate the way that the rabbis think about things. So, the, so the, the rabbinic imagination here is that if someone says, right, I will, to a random Jew, right, I will kill you unless you dot, 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 the answer is what? Do it, exactly, right? They, I will kill you unless you only observe one day of Yontif. You do it, right? I will kill you unless you eat this bacon. You do it, right? I will kill you, right? That is something that you do because saving a life is paramount over all of these other things. And he even gives you a biblical quote, right? Which by doing them, a person will live through them. He will live through the commandments and not die through them, right? Because the Torah says, v'chai behem, you have to live through the commandments. So don't, so if a, if a commandment would lead you to die, therefore you don't have to do it anymore, right? Because that's not what the Torah wants you to do. 
Then Maimonides says, under what specific conditions is all this true with regard to every one of the commandments except for three? People have seen this before? Yes? Okay, great. So we don't have to spend too much time on it. Um, right? So there's three things that you do that you should be killed instead of doing them. And they are, I just lost my place, idolatry, sexual crimes, and murder. Right? So in those instances, right, someone says kill or you, you I'm going to kill you unless you kill this person. You, that's when you say, well, you have to kill me. Right? Like you don't do that. Now, I do want to give, uh, and again, I, I'm sorry, I, I let in with jokes, and now we're talking about really dark stuff. But anyone have a thought of why these three things and are the... Right. Okay. Why it would raise to the right. Great. Oh, not great, but great. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nita is actually interesting. I don't know off the top of my head if that qualifies. I don't think so. Yeah, I was going to say the, the technical term, and again, I apologize, the Hebrew didn't work is right. Is it any of the RIOT, which is generally speaking, the list of forbidden sexual partners from Leviticus chapter 18. So that meaning, so you, incest, I believe rape though also is, is in that, but but again, just to be kind of clear, like sex before marriage is not right or something like that. But um, but that is I don't know if I don't think Nita is included in this because Nita actually carries a different punishment. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. And if it's not biblical, well, what, correct of which part of the yeah exactly this is. Um, way to find the one thing that can make this more awkward than just talking about murder scenarios is to add um, that. But, yeah. Yes. Yes, it is saying, it is, he, Maimonides is saying that all ethical considerations save three you violate, right? So if, you know, rabbi, eat, uh, eat meat off a styrofoam plate, you know, or be, uh, you do it, right? Like you, you go against all of your ethical things. You, you rob the bank. You eat the pork. You tell your mother that you don't love her. Whatever, like, I'm going off, I'm trying to go through my commandments here. I apologize. <laughs> tell my mom that made the list, right, of things I wouldn't even think of doing. Um, but, like, right, like all of it you violate to save your own life, period out, except for murdering someone else, the sexual crimes, and idolatry. And I agree with you in some ways, idolatry is, is 
is in some ways the hardest to swallow and others the easiest to understand, I think. But let's let's keep going through this. We'll go around the room and then, yeah. Yes, I'm laughing only because the immediate thing I thought is, yes, this is the Horcrux answer, right? The idea that these are, the, again, other people would love these Harry Potter references, guys, right? It's okay, it's fine, it's fine. But the idea that, right, these three things, for whatever reason, would, would forever rend the soul of the person who's doing it, right? And so you would say, no, you know what? It is better to die than to live knowing that I've done that thing, right? And that, that is perhaps the answer, right? That it is, it is, those three things are so abhorrent to the soul of a human that, that you couldn't live with yourself anyways, literally, so you might as well not do it and then die, right? Uh, yes, it's, again, awful, but uh, that is, I think, one of the answers that it might be. Yeah. Nice. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's um, nice. That's a nice way to look at it. By the way, you could look at all three of it, right, to say this is, those three things are the three things that we do that make us the closest to God. Like death, killing, taking a life, creating a life, and the worship piece of idolatry, right? Or something like that, right? And, and so those are the things that you cannot touch. Everything else is mundane and earthly and you, you know, you, you do it, right, or something like that. Let's keep going around. Yeah, please, ma'am. So without getting into the whole, that, that because, I mean, we could do an entire class, and I actually have a source sheet for you if you want, right, on specifically that idea. If I'll repeat for people who didn't hear, right, this is so, because you're, you're exactly in the right vein, which is like, so we're balancing lives here, right? My life, your life, if we, the gun, right, like, and, and another instance where that happens is birth, right? And the rabbis, again, maybe inaccurately according to actual OBGYN of what might happen. But like the rabbis imagine a world where, right, if you know that a woman is going to die because of childbirth or carrying a baby to term, right, what, how do we balance the two, the two lives, right, in that place? And, and the, the very, very short of it, as if I didn't offend everyone already, well, let's, let's talk about abortion now, right? But the, the very, very short of it is that the rabbis delineate different time periods, right? Where there's a absolutely the life of the mother takes precedence. There's an, it's kind of a gray area. And then there's absolutely 
it's two lives, right? And so they that's they do a sort of temporal delineation of saying like where you would do it, and in that sort of they tried to really literally imagine a like a bit from this moment on the baby is considered alive and therefore you do not set aside its life for the life of the mother and from this moment before you say the baby is not considered alive god forbid and so the life of the mother does take precedence right but what you're getting at is something i wanted to point out and actually that i'll save it for the next text because the next text is the one that i brought to elucidate this point so i gotta save it otherwise why bring the text there was another comment or question yeah please The what? The Rambam. The Rambam, So let's look at the next one, right? Because his next sentence is exactly talking about the idea of Kedush Hashem, right? So, so he says, right, Sorry, before we do the next sentence, did anyone, was there another hand over here about, yeah, sorry, let's go around, but I promise we're going to get to Kedush Hashem in a second. Yeah. Great. Great. Yes, and there are some fascinating rabbinic responsa on that question because we have this idea that one cannot, right, idolatry you should be killed before doing. And so the rabbis do, by the way, exactly what you imagine the rabbis are going to do, which is they restrict this case to such a small amount that it's still a live law, but, but it is not about, well, this actually depends on which rabbis you look at, right? But it is not about, you know, the um, hit, the crypto Jews in Spain or something like that, right? So the Meiri has a whole piece about basically saying Christianity is not, not, not idolatry. Maimonides is slightly on the fence about it more, but but other, but in the, the generally standard accepted, right, thing is Islam and Christianity are not idolatry. And so if someone says to you, you know, I'm going to kill you unless you eat this Eucharist. Or well, the Eucharist actually might be the one thing that is, I shouldn't have said that. But okay. we're, we're doing like whole classes in five minutes here, guys. And I apologize. But right, uh, like this Christmas tree. I don't know, right? Like observe some kind of Christian rite or, or, or pray at the mosque and I, or else I'm going to kill you, right? You 100% do that thing and don't get killed, right? Because it's not idolatry. It is, the examples given are like, you know, like this statue of Baal, kiss this statue in the way that the word, right? Like, like literal and actual idol, idol worship is the thing that we're talking about here, not sort of its environment or just non-Jewish religious practice or something like that, right? Um, yeah, Matt, sorry. Nice, nice. Uh, uh, I'm going to be working all night to come up with another one. Okay, all right. Thank you, thank you, Matt. Was there was there another? Uh, yes, please. And then two. Yeah. So this is curious to me because there are two. This is rabbinic. Okay. 
Yeah, but that's God. God can do whatever God wants. This is about us. Right? No, 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 that's a good point, right? There are, there are instances of God meeting out punishments, even death, that are not these things, right? But that's, the Lord can do whatever the Lord wants to do. It's, it's only us who have these restrictions put around us. It's a good point, though. It's a really good point. Yeah. Yes, right. If someone puts a, if someone says, I'm going to kill you unless you gather sticks on Shabbat, you gather sticks on Shabbat. Even though there's a story of someone who did that and then God killed them, right? That's a, that's a, that is a good point. It is because, again, it's, that's up to God. We have these rules. There's only these three. And I, I agree, by the way, that I, I think part of it is about their effect on other people. But Taya, yeah. Right, the idolatry one also. Yeah. Right, and I forgot about the public piece for idolatry, which, right, exactly, that, great, thank you. Um, yeah, please. Wasn't Abraham's father literally a merchant in idolatry? According to the rabbis, yes. That's why we don't like the guy. I don't know. That's, what, that's why we say in the Haggadah, you know, our ancestors were idol worshippers and now we're better. Yay. No, I mean, yes. I, and, and, the, and the Torah really has a problem with idolatry that does not exist for the rest, which is why I think it's like sort of the, the medieval reader or the ancient reader when they see this is like, oh, of course idolatry you wouldn't do, right? Because it has this fabric of society piece to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That sounds right. That sounds right. That it's why Maimonides keeps this as a, as such a huge part of it because for him it is... Yeah. Um, I mean, also, like, he had family experience with this, too, right? Which is part of, for Maimonides, like, this was personal. And we talked to, we were talking about he left, and he left Spain, and his brother didn't, and convert, like, whatever, right? It died. So, okay, let's do the last piece of Maimonides, and then we'll get to the next one, I promise. So, um, anyone for whom it is stated he should be killed and not transgress, and was killed and did not transgress, such a person has sanctified the name, right? This is, for Maimonides, right, the closest we get to the idea of martyrdom, right? And the Hebrew here that you would see, if I could have formatted it, is Kiddush Hashem, right? Which maybe we've heard of before, like to sanctify God's name, right? And for Maimonides, now there are other people or other things that we say are Kiddush Hashem, but for Maimonides, this is it, right? And anyone about whom it is stated he should be killed and not transgress, and he transgressed and was not killed, such a person has desecrated the name. Wait, he should be killed and not, yes, right, right. So you should, you should do the way they're supposed to do it, uh, right? And God's name is at stake in this. Um, I thought I'd put in one because the other piece, by the way, is Maimonides also says that you should anyone who shouldn't be killed and does his is it's not good like 
Maimonides is not pro unnecessary martyrdom, right? Which is not, he's not alone, but he's also not the, there are voices that do sort of have a kind of expanded version of martyrdom and what that can mean. Uh, because by the way, right, on Yom Kippur, when we have the martyrology section and we read through all those things, right, like some of those people are violators, right? Like some of the stuff, like, that Akiba and what, like, I mean, maybe it was idolatry, maybe it wasn't idolatry, I don't know if we can talk about it, but like, it's not one of these three things, and they get killed for it, and we read about them every single year and glorify it, right? So it's, we're complicated, right? It's, 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 there's different, there's different pieces to this. For Maimonides, he's not trying to glorify dying in the name of God um, in this way. Um, it's time to rally to Gondor. Um, okay, so, uh, Let's keep going, unless there's questions or comments about the last piece. Okay, so we're in the desert now. Two people were traveling, and one of them had a flask of water in his hand. If both of them drink, this is just like a who's who of hard texts in the Talmud, they would die, and if one of them drinks, he would reach settlement. Ben Petora expounded, it is better in such a case that both of them drink and die rather than one of them see the death of his fellow. This was the accepted view until Rabbi Akiva came and taught, the life of your brother is with you. This means your life takes precedence over the life of your fellow. So just a quick set of what, so what's happening in this situation. Again, it's hard stuff tonight, okay? This is two people, uh, you know, fall out of a helicopter in the jungle or whatever it is, right? They have enough water. One of them's holding a water bottle that has enough water for one person to make it back to civilization. But if they split it, they, they are both going to die before they reach civilization. So there's a debate here, right? Ben Patera says they should split it in half, take their chances, and both die because you shouldn't see the death of your fellow. Akiva says, no, no, but I have this verse that says you shall live with your fellow, the life, right? And that means your life takes precedence over your fellow. Therefore, and this is the accepted, right? The person who's got the water drinks and makes it out, and that's the way you're supposed to do it. So let's talk this through again, a little bit gross, a little bit sad. So anyone, should we do a quick uh, show of hands? I don't know if, who's going. Who's my Ben Patera folk and who are my Akiva folk? Who would, if if I didn't read you the whole thing, right? Who would say the answer is both people drink and you just hope that it's going to last long enough? Okay, anyone would have said the Akiva. No, just whoever's got the water drinks it, and that's the way it goes. Okay. What's the third alternative? Why? Right, the Akiva option is still one of you. So you're so, so some altruistic thing, but it's still one person definitely dies and one person definitely makes it out, right? Okay, yeah, Matt, sorry. <laughs> right, okay, great. No, I got you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, no. By the way, so this is the reason why I wanted to bring this up is not so that we can all egg at Matt's car as we leave uh, the, the, the room tonight. But no, no, the, because what the rabbis here are assiduously avoiding, and I want to be very clear about this, is 
exactly what Matt started to get us into, which is neither rabbi here says that you pull out a, a, a pros-cons chart and you start divvying up who's a better person or who's going to give more to society or who might have children or hasn't had children or, you know, right? Like, like I just, the rabbis in, and I could have brought a hundred texts. The rabbis go out of their way to at no point want to try to decide between two human lives, right? Because this principle at the beginning that we talked about, right? Every life is a potential for infinite lives, right? Every life has the bloods that, that cry out to it. And so there is not, now, again, if you want it now in this situation, if we have a 167 year old with 14 terminal degrees, who's, you know, leaves 157 great, 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 great grandchildren uh, and a 20-year-old with the cure for cancer in his head, her head, and whatever, right? Would we, would, would any rabbi blame the one to give the water? Probably not. Fine, right? Like, it's, we're leaving the extreme open there. But the idea is that actually, according to Akiva, no. If, if the, what did I say, 167-year-old multiple terminal degree, per, right? If they're the ones who fell out of the helicopter with the water, they're the ones who are drinking the water and making it out. That's just the way it goes, right? The rabbis do not want there to be any balancing and weighing of life involved, both because why? Let's just do a why before we do more comments. Why are the rabbis so, you know, and we saw this also with, we talked about with the, with the idea of the birth and the mother and what's going on. So why is that such a principle of the rabbis? So part of it is, right, because we don't want to decide, we don't want to take on that role of responsibility, which might go to the, because who could live with themselves afterwards piece. Why else? Yeah. Nice. Great. Exactly. Right. 100%, right? The 167-year-old with 15 terminal degrees and whatever, right? Like, term, not terminal degrees, terminal diagnoses. <laughs> terminal degrees is no, uh, yeah, whatever, indication of worth or not. Yeah, <laughs> but sorry, <laughs> that, was, that was a fun slip. Right, no, but exactly, right? Like, the rabbis believe that anyone could be the Messiah. Any moment, anything could bring the Messiah. Anything could bring redemption. And so, right, so you might say, Oh, this is the clearest situation the rabbi could come up, but it's not clear, right? Maybe that person has something that they have to do that's going to save the world, and the person that is right. So just stay out of it, right? Like just don't get into it at all. Seems to be what the rabbis are trying to say. Yes, and then yes. Yeah. Oh Lord, have mercy. Wait, this is. <laughs> yeah. If you, because he is saying you've got it, he, you are going to kill someone, meaning yourself, if, unless, no. I'll kill you. Technically, the person should say, you have to kill me. Technically, the person would say, I'm not giving you the flask. This is my flask, and you have to make this never arise in anyone's uh, ever, 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 right? But technically, I think that would be the, 
the, the way you, if you're reading the Rambam and everybody in the same way. Now, again, that's what it would say. I'm not sure if I would blame someone for saying, here's the flask, or, you know, right? But, but yeah, there's ties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's maybe a reason why we don't go with Ben Patera, right? And why, like, also, you know, like Ben Patera is not exactly like the, you know, voice of, uh, he doesn't show up all that often. Like, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, no, meaning it's like when you see it voice in his voice, you sort of know that it's not going to be used. Uh huh. Yes. Um, right. By the way, if you want to get really complicated, I don't know if it's in this, if it's in this manuscript, if it's this section or not, but there is, sorry, this, it's going to get real nerdy for just a second. Buckle up. There is actually, I think Richard Kalman has a whole piece that Ben Patera is often might be um, a hidden euphemism for Jesus. Um, ah, yeah, yeah. And so that, that also changes sort of what we're talking about here is actually a sort of like, is this the self-sacrifice? Like we all, we both drink and we just leave it to God and we die a holy martyr's death and therefore we go to heaven versus like you could read this actually as a polemic against Christ, Christianity. I hadn't decided if I was going to share that or not, but you got it anyways. Right. Um, I don't think it's in this. I think it's somewhere else for Ben Patera. It's like Pantera, which is a... Right, which is, but they, but this could be that in some manuscripts. Okay, anyway, sorry. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Yeah. Yes. Right. So what do you make of that? Exactly. I, I, I agree. I think it's like a kind of a weird proof text even in the rabbinic even in the rabbinic mind where you're like where you believe in like weird grammatical proof texts can make the difference between life and death it's still kind of a unsatisfying read which might mean that this is what they wanted to say right that they're sort of you know setting up this hollow argument from ben patera using a kind of flimsy proof text and like but this is what we want to get to right okay um let's do one more and then two more and then we're gonna and then we'll Keep going. My interpretation is by not sharing, you're basically giving up all hope. By not sharing, you're giving up. You're saying there's no way to right. possibly get out. Yeah. And I don't know anybody who decides God, everybody knows exactly what's going to happen. Yes. This is, I, I mean, I should have maybe said this at the beginning. Like, I, did, I don't think this is meant to be what we would say, halakha lama'ase, like practical Torah here, right? Because even the, 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 gener, the general facts of the case, that you would somehow find yourself in the middle of the desert, but know that you have enough water to get to the next, like, like you've got like Google Maps and an app being like, oh, I know that I can walk 42 miles on the, it's one liter of water, but if we're 22 miles, like, you know, like, yeah, I think that the this is one of those things where they're setting up a case to prove to make a point, not because they think that this is going to happen to someone in the desert someday. Yeah. Uh, 
But honestly, I, yes, I actually think that is what it's saying. I think it's saying that in, in, a, in a situation where you know, right, that, you know, I think parachutes on a plane or think, uh, you know, life jackets on a, right, like, it, like you save your life. Like, and that's okay. I mean, by the way, in many ways, I, I actually think one of the reasons why this text is here is to assuage survivor's guilt. Right, I think that one of the reasons why this is here is, you know, again, I don't know, we could like life rafts on the Titanic. You want to use that one as an example? Like, like you get in the boat. If you have a seat, you get in the boat, and that is okay. The Torah and God want you to do that, and you don't need to feel guilty. I'm sure you will feel guilty, but you don't need to feel like you should have given up your seat in this altruistic, you know, martyrdom moment. Like, no, the rabbis are actually saying when push comes to shove, like, now, again, only you know if that's really what it was or, if, like, you know, again, it's, it's situationally dependent, but I think that's a pretty important principle that the rabbis are, 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 are elucidating here. There was another hand. Yeah, Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. But giving. Yeah. Right, but at the expense of, of yours, right? So I, I, again, I think not to, not to be too harsh about it, like I don't, th I think yes, given in whatever circumstance, I'm sure that it would be more of a gray area of like, well, I'm gonna give it to you because I might be able to make it or I whatever, or this or that, or I, I have faith that we will find someone or someone will get it. But like, but in the sort of strictures of this Gemara, of this text, you're not supposed to do it, right? Now again, if you get to, Hashem at the end of that, uh, you know, desert moment, and God is like, "Hey, you gave up your flask for like, okay, let that be the sin that's on your record, or like, right? Like, I'm sure, hopefully, please God, a compassionate Lord, like, but according to the system that the rabbis are setting up, that's not okay, because again, you're making this decision in place of God, right? And and to to do something. All right, last one. Second to last, first to last one. I got no control. It's okay. Let's just keep going around. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just wondering, thinking, like, okay, so what's the difference? Why is he giving it? Why, why is he, why is he keeping it? Right. So there's two, does anyone hear the question, right? Why is this not considered murder? Now, I would say I have at least a couple of thoughts that come to, right? First of it, first part of it is yes, because this is the case and God is saying to do it. And we have a verse from Rabbi Akiva and the Torah, so, right? But also because theoretically you are going to die. Like, that's, it's, it's different than saying, you know, it takes a gallon of water to walk out of the jungle and you're sitting there with a backpack with four gallons of water and you're like, no, I might need this or something, right? Like that's, that's different, right? That's, that's, that would not necessarily, but the other thing I want to say is that there is a difference between actively causing the death of another and passively allowing a death to happen by not intervening, right? So I want to be clear that, and, and I want to be clear about that because 
we have, and I think, didn't we do last week the don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor? No, maybe that was on the back of the sheet. We didn't get to it. Ah, we didn't get to it. Well, it was there. Trust me, right? Don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. You're not supposed to, if you're walking through the thing and you got a backpack full of water and you don't need all of it and they do walk by, you're not supposed to stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. And at the same time, right, that is, if, for the rabbis, that is a very specific circumstance where you are literally walking by the blood of your neighbor and not helping, right? Otherwise, again, everyone in this room shouldn't be here right now because there are things we could be doing to save lives and we're not doing them right now in this moment, right? And we, we, we live in a world where we know enough to know that that's constantly true. And so you have to sort of say at a certain point, I'm not going to, right, or, or not, and you're a better person than I if you can go through and constantly be trying to save a life in every moment of what we're doing, right? But, like, I think, so that that's part of it, right? There, there's the sort of easy answer of, yeah, in this moment when the person is right next to you, but what do you do about the person in the town next door? What do you do about the future person? What do you do about the, you know, there's, we get to a, to a pretty untenable what if quickly in that way. So, Roseanne, you wanted to say something. Of Hagar and Ishmael, when Hagar puts the baby off of by the thing because she doesn't want to see it, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that is right. That's that's a yeah. That's a good analog from the Torah, for sure. There was one last, and then oh, that's right. That was that was the last. But but just snuck in. It's okay. Right. Yeah. 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 That's nice. Yeah. Totally. Again, that's why it's like it's not it's not a real example, right? Like because there's so many other ways that this could go, and so many things you could do, and right, hundred percent. But right, we also in our society acknowledge right that our lives like come first to some extent in some ways, right? And then in some ways not. Like right, you know, great. Okay, uh, Rabbi Malik. Okay. Oh, is that right? Oh, that'd be so good. If you if you can find it, let me know. Is it says it sounds more like Plato, but it could be Cicero. But I'm just I just feel in a defensive crouch because you caught me in a classics reference off guard. So now I have to pivot to something I do know about. Otherwise, it's gonna you know make me feel bad. Um, so sorry. Did all that happen out loud? Okay, great. <laughs> So, no, but yeah, no, by the way, a hundred, no, no, a hundred percent, like there are other, we could imagine other ways, other societies, other religions, other philosophies doing this differently, right? And so there is something interesting and unique, thanks for bringing us back to the point, of, right, of, of the Jewish thought about what it means to be human in this and the sort of radical equality of life that like we would not necessarily see somewhere else. Um, yes, please. 
Right. That's a great, that's a great, great question, right? Because this situation is sort of incumbent on there being already some kind of deciding mechanism there, right? Of like, whoever was holding it, whoever's got it, that's what you do. I mean, again, the rabbis, to the best of my knowledge, don't expand on this and say, and if the flask was on the ground, then you, right? So, what? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So, like, that again, and, and by the way, I'm trying to sort of radically hold this rabbinic idea of, like, you do not make a decision, but, but like, I'm... I imagine that in that case, there might be someone who says, you know what, you take it, right? Or something like that. And like, and that's okay. Like, and that's, again, in the, in the reality of this, there might be, but if we really wanted to just go like strict Akiva here, I would say you flip a coin or something like that, right? Like there's you, some way of letting chance and not human beings make that decision seems like what at least Akiva here wants it to be. Um, okay. We got it. Yeah, last one. Fine. That's cool. Who wanna... Uh huh. Yes. A pre. Do you want to expand on that, my my philosophy major friend? It's six people on one side and one person on the other, whatever it is. Right, right, right. Yeah, it is a similar right, and and they're sort of saying like we, to the best of our ability, we just we don't make that decision, right? Um, by the way, this is while we're quoting like faux philosophical TV shows, um, which is you know there's um it's not a great show called Upload uh, an Amazon show right but there's a whole thing about self-driving cars and you can set it right prioritize occupant prioritize uh, uh, not occupant right like the idea being like in a situation where and then this is my friends who are in this world that's like a thing right there's there will be a situation with self-driving cars where the car has to make the decision of do I prioritize the occupant of the car or the pedestrian or whoever not in the car and so theoretically we could imagine a world where you when you're like putting in your settings and entering in your Apple Pay code you also have to set it as where am I doing prioritize occupant or prioritize other person and like you know Akiva is prioritizing occupant. Okay, we got to do one more, at least one more. So let's keep going um, because I wanted to get this in here. Um, so just, uh, there's, there's a lot more text on captives. I gave you the shortest one, um, right? So, so ransoming captives, just to be clear, one of the highest mitzvahs that there is. Right, and I didn't give you like there's a whole Talmud about it. There's a whole Maimonides about it. like if you've if you've raised money to build a synagogue and there's a captive, you use the synagogue money to get. If you raise money to buy a Torah, if you you sell a Torah to ransom a captive, like you right ransoming captives is the holy actually second holiest to giving a bride her dowry. But like it is the holiest. No, but think about it, that's life, right? Creating life, creating more life, right? Like, but like holiest thing you can do with funds is ransoming captives, okay? And and the rabbis also put a limit on it, right? So the captives may not be ransomed. This is such a thing to bring up in like the last five minutes. Okay, we're gonna talk about it and then we'll all be mad and leave. Captives may not be ransomed for more than their value, 
for the sake of the social order. And I really wanted the Hebrew on this because this, the words there is not social order. The words there are tikkun olam, right? Mipnei tikkun olam. You cannot ransom a captive for more than their worth. Okay, let's talk from, there's another, by the way, the other one that I was going to give you, but like a, there's a limit is there's a whole rabbinic imagination. This is just funnier while we're talking about the captives of where they imagine that if you're in a group of people, and bandits like jump out at you and are like, give us one person, right? Or else we're going to kill all of you. What does the group have to do? They all die. If the bandits jump out and say, give us Ken Kravitsky or else we're going to kill all of you. What do you do? You give him Ken Kravitsky. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> no, but because, because what happened in the second case? Exactly right. Exactly right. Because the rabbis understand that one life is less than many, many lives, but the rabbis are really committed to not making other humans make that decision. And so if the bandits jump out and say, give us this one specific person or else we're going to kill the rest of you, you do it because you save the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, um, right? But if they don't make it, then you, you don't make that decision and you just say, I'm so sorry, you right, get it all. <laughs> Again, in the reality of this, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. It's like, like these things where like in college when you like forgot to set your alarm for Shabbat and you're like, golly gee whiz, it'd be great if someone could set that alarm right there to 9 a.m. tomorrow and you're like waiting for your non-Jewish roommate to get the hint and do it and you're like, oh man, if the bandits would just pick one person then maybe that guy right there. Sorry, horrible joke, I apologize. <laughs> Let's go back to the, so, so the, going back to the captives now. So why have the rabbis set this up and what does it have to do with tikkun olam? And we're going to wrap up with this and we might not get to the gates of understanding and that's okay. Yeah. Ah, so great. So it could be running everything that I just said the opposite direction. Meaning I'm saying, oh, one life is worth everything is worth it because we're all equal because one life is equal to every other life. And so you might run it the other way and say, yeah, one life is equal to every other life. So we're not going to ransom one person for way more than they're worth because that's actually also going against this principle of sort of radical equality of human life. Could be that. What else? Yeah. Great, exactly. Right, that Rashi says exactly that on this Mishnah, right? That that the idea is everything that we what we would think of is that you're then you're actually endangering further life by doing it because then they're going to come back and do it again. And okay, great. So it could be that, yeah. Of, of the valuation piece, right? So it's not, there's a slippery slope of more people are going to do it, but there's also, right, because then that person, please, got, right, is going to be walking around for the rest of their life being like, you know how much I'm worth, right? Or something like that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I like it, yeah. Other thoughts on this? Going through? Um, okay, so, sorry. 
Right. Yeah. Well, so now it depends on what you mean by more than they're worth, right? So you could say, as I think we might, in, I mean, by the way, this was, and I am very aware that we are talking about this while there are captives in our lives, and this is, right? So I, I, I'm not trying to be too flippant about it, but I was, I was thinking about with Gilad Shalit, right, who was ransomed for a, a large number of people, and, and there, was, there were rabbis who cited this and said, yeah, he's worth that many, right? Like, because when, to say more than they're worth, it's like, yeah, but if someone is worth infinite, then you can't actually ransom it. There is no too much, right? Or something like that, which, so, which is possible. It's also, yeah, sorry, David, go ahead. Yes, 100%, 100%. I, I, I wasn't saying that as a good thing. Sorry, there is, a, there is an extent to which, I mean, and by the way, I'm being kind of kind because there were people who said exactly that, right? Gilad Shalit is worth 10,000 of those horrible, non-human, terrible, right? Like, I'm not saying that for me. I'm saying that was said in a, in a which is exactly the opposite of what this is talking about, right? So, so that's, Part of it might be you don't want to get in. Again, the rabbis don't want us to get into these things. Part of it might be about, again, helping a community set boundaries. Because in, in the world of that, that they're talking about, it was, it was a sort of Jewish community by city sort of thing, right? And, and this would happen all the time. This is all over the text because this would happen. That like they would take the Jews, a, a Jew captive and then the Jewish community of Odessa would have to ransom the captive to get him back, right? And, and so it might be that this is here for communities that don't have the resources to get this person back or this much or whatever to, to give them this sort of either it's cover for themselves of their own feelings or emotions or even for the for the the hostage takers right to say well look we have this rule we can't with that you know or something like that right like correct right so that's again it also gets to this where i wanted to get in this too is part of this is also the rabbis not wanting to make human beings have to enter into these sorts of conundrums, right? And so part of what it's saying is, yes, if you, the community, like to, to say, like if the state of Israel can get these people back, either with money or with arms, then they 100% need to do it and should and will, please God will, right? Like, because they can do it without jeopardizing the social order because they have the resources, they have the ability, they have the, this was actually one of the things also spoken about Gilad Shalit when this was quoted is, like, they have the ability to make sure that this doesn't happen again, please God, right? But like, it's not, yeah, it's different now, but the idea being like, if you can do it without jeopardizing to the social order, then you 100% have to. And if you can't, then you're not supposed to. Like you're not supposed to jeopardize the social order of the community, the safety of others, the long-term, right? In this, in this instance, right? Because we don't enter into balancing and weighing people. Yeah, right away.
Right. Right. Exactly. Right. No, 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 exactly. No, it's as you said earlier, John. Yeah, it's no, it's 100%. It's also about the social order of living in a world where you think this is going to happen all the time because we've incentivized it. Right, no, exactly. Yeah. Well, we can end with a thousand. We'll end in just a minute, I promise, guys. Sorry, we, we ended on a pretty depressing note tonight, but I, and... Who? Oh. Cool. Oh. Don't ever let go, Jack. Nice. How lovely. So where, where, yeah, Shabbat Shalom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. And there's and then there's there's actually another story too of, of, even despite the prohibition, of rabbis going in and getting right. But yeah, I mean we were all thinking of the Maharam, right? Like we just Talia said it, but we all we all had Rabbi Meir like at the tip of our tongues there, of course. Um, so no, it's it's great. And and we're so let's to to try to wrap this up where it's not where I thought we were going to land, but hey, that's cool. That's what this is fun. So, as we're ending this. And we're talking about the value of life, right? Or what it means. And, and the, the last, there, the, there were other two texts on death that I didn't give us. And one of them was actually Unatana Tokef, which we sort of know off the top of our head, right? The who will live and who will die and all, right? Again, who's that all up to? God. And what do we do in that? What, what's our option? Chuva, tefillah, tzedakah, right? We, so other than... Other, and I'm not naming specific other religions, but right, one could imagine other philosophies or other religions that are focused on, and this is something we always talk about, right? Other religions focus on what happens after, what do we focus on? Life, right? And all of this is about the value of our lives here and the way that we live here. And yes, Rabbi Eiser has a class on Mondays about what happens when we die, and there's like a hundred different Jewish views on it, which means there's 
absolutely no great consensus or answer and we're just gonna like okay cool y'all someone will find out and tell us right like we don't it's not the sort of operative thing but it is the thing that connects us right that we that that death is a part of everyone's life that death is here we looked at last week right one of the things was that the way we imitate god is caring for burying the dead caring for the ill the frailty of each other right that that end piece which is not something we focus on, is something that gives the time that we have here meaning, right? And one of the reasons why the rabbis have sort of put some of these thought experiments in here, thought experiments in here, or ask us every year on Yom Kippur to essentially pretend like we're dead and think about death all day long, right, is that the idea of contemplating one's ultimate end is meant to give more meaning and more drive to how we live the life that we have here. And so that's where the gates of understanding, which I'll just tell you about, it's okay. There's this line in the Talmud that there are 50 gates of understanding and we all get, you know, like two or seven of them, but Moses got 49, right? He's the only one who, who, who attained 49 of the 50, but even he didn't get all 50. And then the later rabbi says, and the one gate he didn't know illuminated all the rest of them. Right, that having something that we don't know, having that thing there is actually the thing that gives what we have here meaning. And so the life that we have, right, we've spent this last three weeks talking about why we are created and the beginnings of everything and then what we're supposed to do while we're here. And then at the end, which is not really about the end, it's actually about how we treat the people who are alive, how we live our lives that we're here and what we do with this moment, right, is really where the rabbis want to focus us, which is, the human experience, right? And being in community and together. Thank you, friends. We did it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you don't have to do that. That's okay. But so thank you for being a part of this. This has been really, really wonderful.